This podcast is sponsored by Aspire Pharma. So welcome back to the podcast. Um, we are doing a lovely series uh, of podcasts that explore the impact of dry skin conditions on an individual's mental health. Um, so welcome back, uh, Dr. Bewley. Nice to speak to you, Ashling. So our first question is, what is the impact of a dry skin condition on an individual's mental health? Well, it's a really important question. And as you know, I have a special interest in psychodermatology. So it's important for several reasons. First of all, because the the impact of dry skin, particularly dry and inflamed skin on an individual's mental health is enormous. First of all, there is the visible difference. So if you have dry skin, then it's often visibly different. And that carries huge implications uh, for a patient in terms of their self-esteem, in terms of their own personal body image, but also in terms of how other people interact with a, with a patient with dry skin. So, for example, years ago, I had eczema as a child, and people would quite often decide that they could completely unsolicitedly comment about my dry skin, things like, my goodness, what's wrong with your skin? And why is your skin so dry? And why is your face looking like that? So uh, it's not just about how we deal with it ourselves, but it is also about we deal with other people's reaction to having dry dry skin. And uh, what type of symptoms do patients with dry skin typically get? Well, patients with dry skin often describe um, not just the the appearance and the flakiness of the skin. So patients describe uh, having more dust around the house or more flakes on their chairs or more white material on their shoulders from where they've brushed their skin around their head. Um, but they also complain of itch and itch is often intractable. So if you have dry skin, it's often very, very itchy indeed. And if you have dry skin, that can then lead to sleeplessness. And uh, living with sleeplessness is very difficult. And it's not just about the, the quantity of sleep. It's also about the quality of the sleep. Um, and that can lead to, uh, to other consequences in terms of mental health well-being. And so on that point of kind of itchy skin and and the stress it's causing for the for the person actually applying the emollients what is the best way to apply an emollient well the best way to apply an emollient is um frequently thinly um swiftly and always going in the direction of the hair let's start with frequently um, patients often think oh i'll put the moisturizing cream or the emollient on you know once a day but actually if you can put it on a bit more swiftly or a bit more often than that that will help swiftly patients often think that they're going to have to spend hours putting on an emollient whereas in fact it takes seconds to quickly brush uh, arms and legs and body with an emollient always going down the skin in the direction of the hairs. The reason why we do that is if we rub in circles or if we rub in all sorts of directions, we can push the emollient into the hair follicles, which can then trap bacteria within the hair follicle and lead to folliculitis, lead to infections of the hair follicle. 
and then uh, finally making sure that you uh, that you do the moisturizing cream regularly can be really helpful so it's a regular frequent swift treatment which is really important Fantastic. Thank you. I think I haven't heard that phrase before, regular, swift and frequent, but I do like that. Uh, so thank you. Can I please ask you a question just around about what tools there are? Because we talked a little bit about the impact it can have on someone's mental health. Do you know of any tools there are to help us identify in patients with, with dry skin conditions the impact it might be having on their mental health? Well, when we talk about assessing patients well-being mental health well-being there are various tools that we can use now it's important to differentiate between quality of life tools so things like the dermatology life quality index which is a brilliant tool of quality of life and there is a children's version and there is a carer's version of that and that's quality of life and that's different from psychosocial comorbidities. So there are tools that we can use to assess psychosocial comorbidities. So tools such as the HADS score, the Hospital Anxiety and Depression score, or the PHQ-9, or there are even other assessment tools that we can use, such as the Beck depression scale. And these are all great and useful, and they're often very well validated, very useful tools that can be used um, by clinicians to assess what is going on for patients in terms of their, their mental health and their mental well-being. But you know, Emmanuel, I think that one of the best ways to assess how patients are getting on in terms of their mental health is just to ask open socratic questions things like how's it how's it going how are you feeling at the moment what's happening for you at the moment so simple open-ended socratic questions which don't have a yes no answer um, they're often uh, really helpful for patients and there are a couple of mistakes that we as healthcare professionals can make when we're making these assessments the first one is that if we ask these open-ended Socratic questions that we can misidentify that patients are going to spend hours uh, telling us the answer to those questions. We know from research that in fact patients are very good at being very articulate very quickly. So usually on average a patient will take a maximum of about four minutes to tell us exactly what's going on for them, to give us a good synopsis of how they're feeling in terms of their mental health, providing we ask that question. And the second thing that uh, healthcare professionals can sometimes mistake is that if we ask that question, how are you feeling, what's happening for you at the moment, then that can somehow precipitate anxiety or depression or precipitate, um, you know, further deterioration in mental health and that's not the case we know from research that if you ask those questions how are you feeling what's happening for you at the moment that that actually is really beneficial patients feel empowered and engaged and they feel that they're they're taken they're, they're taken respectfully as being a person rather than as a label with dry skin or ichthyosis or eczema or psoriasis. They're taken for being an individual who is not just about their skin, it's also about what's happening for them in terms of their mental health as well. Um, so open personally, I prefer 
open-ended Socratic questions unless there is a good reason to use uh, well-validated tools. Well-validated tools certainly have their role, particularly in research, but on a day-to-day basis, patients often respond to simple open-ended Socratic questions how's it going at the moment? And you know what? I think particularly nurses are brilliantly placed to be able to ask those questions. One of my colleagues, Professor Stephen Ursa, talks a lot about this, and he's a professor of uh, of nursing um, in Bournemouth. And he often talks about the opportunity, every interaction between us as a healthcare professional and a patient is an opportunity for basic affirmative cognitive behavioral therapy. It's an opportunity for us to just simply say to a patient, how's it going? How are you feeling? And uh, and giving the patient an opportunity to, 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 to talk to us about what's going on. And if the patient then gives us cues from their body language or from what they're telling us to to invite us to explore a little bit more deeply, then it's a great opportunity to do just that. No, and I think that's really a really powerful message to kind of allow that time for the patient to to open up. And I think so moving on from what you have um, just said, we know now how to kind of recognize the psychological effects of chronic skin conditions. But how do we best um, manage these? What are the best approaches or even some of the challenges? You, you kind of have alluded to one or two already. Well, I think the most important thing, first of all, is to listen to the patient. And I think that's half of the battle or half of the treatment plan for patients is just to to allow them to feel heard. So that's Point number one. Uh, Point number two is making sure that patients feel empowered. And uh, we talk a lot, don't we, about shared decision making. And I think that's really important to make sure that the patient feels at the centre of their care. By that, I mean that they feel that they understand what's going on with their skin, why their skin is dry or inflamed or has other changes in their skin, such as genetic changes. Um, and it's important for them to to feel that we are signposting them towards educational material that better informs them and better empowers them. And that might be um, patient advocacy groups like the National Eczema Society or the Psoriasis Association or the Ichthyosis Support Group, or it could be uh, patient or patient advocacy organisations around mental well-being or body image, such as changing faces. So it is really quite important that we try and signpost our patients towards areas that might empower them and give them a better understanding. And then, of course, it's really important to see the patients of the patient and try where we can to give them, if possible, written uh, outcomes of of the consultation. We know that patients tend to uh, latch on to various um, amounts of a consultation, and there, any of us, the retention, the ability to retain information, is limited. So we can give patients written information about dry skin, the use of emollients, psychosocial well-being, that can really empower patients too. So all of these are really ways that we can facilitate the patient to take responsibility as much as they can for their own physical, 
skin or cutaneous well-being, but also their own um, psychosocial well-being as well. I think you've named some really good uh, support systems there, a few great support groups. My next question was actually going to be around about uh, support from healthcare professionals. Are there any other tips on how we as healthcare professionals and nurses listening to this podcast can provide that psychological support for patients with dry skin conditions? Well, I think nurses are particularly good at helping patients with dry skin conditions. Um, I think what's really important, as as I've alluded to, is to give the patient the opportunity to be heard and then to educate patients and to signpost them in the right directions where they will be able to take responsibility for their uh, physical well-being, but also for their psychosocial well-being as well. Thank you for that. Uh, Now, just moving on to our key take-home messages from episode number two, are there any other points you'd like to emphasise or you'd like listeners to take home? So I think the most important take-home messages from uh, from this podcast are around making sure that we empower patients and facilitate them to take responsibility for their physical and psychosocial well-being. And we as healthcare professionals and nursing uh, healthcare professionals are in a brilliant place, remembering that every interaction with our patient is an opportunity for affirmative, brief um, and basic cognitive behavioural therapy to empower our patients and make sure that they feel engaged with us as healthcare professionals. It's a beautiful and positive message to end on there. So thank you very much. And we'll be talking to you shortly for episode three. So thank you again. Thank you.